get back to, you know, uh, every, every, when I do the sermons, and I've got several, I've got one on marriage that I'm fixing to uh, bring about, but we also got to, we got to look at giving because of the fact of what we're trying to do is we try to raise money, and, and uh, honest with you, I had a salesman come in my office one time, and he just looked at me and said, I'm here to sell you something. That's what he said right off the bat. Well, I'm here to sell you something. So eventually, uh, that we're going to talk about giving, and, and I'll bring those about. And, but I want to do it in a way that the Lord wants us to do it. And, and so we'll look at that. But in all this, I see in the back of my mind always is this one, one thought, and that is that Christ is getting ready to come. And so I want to talk to you about, and the title of this message that I'm going to preach this morning is called The Season of His Coming. The season of his coming. And I hope that you will in tune with me and turn, if you will, over to the book of Titus. And we're going to go to Titus chapter 2. And we're going to read from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. And I hope that I can show you something. And I can also buy this, uh, that I can do this by doing this in such a way that, um, uh, that you will see something that maybe you have not seen. Or I can also take away some things or some. There are some negative things out there that people believe, and I hope to be able to take this away from you. I want to just say this. Man, I'm glad to see you coming. Uh, you just got out of the hospital and fell. His head had hemorrhaging, and man, we just praise God that you're here with us today. Amen? God bless you. So, we're so glad that you're here. All right. Well, let's read this on chapter 2, and we'll start reading with verse 11. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. If you do not have them, then it's up here on the screen. And uh, if you're back in the nursery or you're back in the uh, uh, the uh, cry room or wherever it is, <coughs> you've got a little problem with the voice that goes from what you out here in there. And so that may be why you're hearing it the way you are. We're going to try to get that fixed as quick as we possibly can. Let's start with verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Jesus has come. Verse 12. This grace of God teaches us, that's the salvation, teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. He tells us how to live. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me read that verse 13 again. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's where we're going. Now, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for every person that's here. I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight, for you're our strength, you're our redemption, you're everything to us, Father. We can't do this without you. But I ask you to just guide and direct and show us things, Father, from your word. Tell us there's apples and gold and cutting the silver in this Bible, and I believe that, Father. And show us things that we may not know. Teach us this morning. And so, Father, I ask all this in the name of Jesus for the sake of men. I want you to notice something about this verse, verse 13. It says, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says that we ought to be looking for it. That's what he says. He said, looking for it. And so, may I ask you this question, and the question is, are you looking for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior? Are you looking for it? And I'm really talking to you. I'm not talking to some 
somebody else? You know, are you looking for Him? That's what the verse tells us to do, to look for Him. We are to live with expectation. Live with a yearning inside of us. Live with a hope that Jesus may appear at any moment. And I've actually heard people look at me and say to me, well, I, I, you know, when I talk to them about the fact that Jesus is coming back, I've heard some people say, I've actually heard people say, well, I've got a lot of living to do yet. Then you, you really got a misconcept of Scripture and what God's trying to do. I've heard other people say, well, I've still got loved ones that are not saved. Well, let me just ask you then, and I understand your concern there, but let me ask you, have, what have you done in trying to assure that they come to know Jesus? If you say that, okay, that means you realize it, then you have you, you must have the responsibility to go to them and say, hey, listen, one of these days, I'm going to be in heaven. Are you going to be there with me? That's what you've got to ask. And I really believe, you know, and, and then you say, well, I really believe that Jesus is coming. And it's not just when we're going to die, it's when Christ comes back to get us. And so we live with that hope that Jesus may appear at any moment. And when I read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the last verse in that whole chapter is this, comfort one another uh, with these words. And so it ought to be, the fact that Christ is coming ought to be a comfort to every one of us. It shouldn't put fear in our life. It ought to be a comfort. If you know Jesus, you don't have anything to be afraid of. And so it's a comfort. But let's be honest. The truth is that most people, even many Christians, don't have this hope in the heart. They just don't. And in fact, many are apathetic about the second coming. One of the causes of that apathy is that we never sat in a service. Many people have never sat in a service that talks about the rapture when Jesus comes and we're taken out of here. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord forever. Nobody has ever told them about the rapture. And so they're, they're, they're apathetic because they've never sat in a service that talks about the rapture or the second coming of Jesus, and we talk about it on a regular basis down here. But why is that? Because Isaiah 6, verse 9 and 10, God says there are people who have eyes, but they don't see. Jeremiah 5, 21 says, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. They don't see. Ezekiel 12, 2, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see, but does not see, and ears to hear, but does not hear, for they are rebellious hounds. What a difference from those who don't see to people like Anna and Simon who were in the temple who recognized who Jesus was when Mary and Joseph brought him when he was just a baby. They recognized who he was. And Simon even went so far as to say, well, I can behold our salvation. Lord, you're able to help me to your servant just to pray. He was ready to go home because he'd seen Jesus. We, there are people that this is just not a reality in their lives. What a difference. What a difference it makes when Christ becomes a reality in life. What a difference from that picture to the picture of the tribe, the Bible says in the Old Testament, First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, the tribe of Issachar. And listen to what this tribe was. The sons of Issachar who had understanding of the time. Do you see what's happening in us today? Do you see how this country is on the verge of maybe changing? And the lifestyle and, and, the, and the things that you and I enjoy, uh, income and 
King Arthur, the live we have the greatest standard of living of any place in the world. Do you see how there's, there's just attempt in this country to take all that away? I'm serious. Now people say, well, you, you know, you're not supposed to speak about politics. Let me tell you something. There, there, uh, but I read the sermons of people in the 1800s and 1900s and Brother Breakdown. Their sermons were filled with stuff that was going on at that time. They objected to slavery. They objected to all this other kind of stuff. And I'm not going to be quiet in this pulpit either as I see those things happen that affect you and affects me. I'm not going to do that. And I'm telling you, they're accepted the bad of division. So we live in a time of great turmoil. We live in a time of great confusion. But listen, if we would but turn to the Lord our turmoil, He will bring peace into our life. And out of that confusion, He will bring order because He is a God of, of order. So only God would raise up some men who are spiritual enough to see what is happening all around us, just like the child of Issachar. To warn the people. Part of the problem is that we're not learning to walk in the Holy Spirit and discern when He is talking to us. And I believe with all my heart He's talking. We're just not listening. I believe that, I believe that we have never lived in a time that fulfills Matthew 24, 36 through 39. Uh, you know, listen to this. But of that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day of Noah entered into the ark, verse 39, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be, will also be the coming of the Son of Man now, here's what I want you to see out of all this. Uh, what, what were they doing? Where were they going? They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. They were giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Now, let me ask you something. What's wrong with those things? There's nothing wrong with eating and drinking. I like to eat. Uh, drinking, I like to drink sweet tea, but you, if you go north, you can't get it. Uh, drinking and marrying. Marrying, uh, there's nothing wrong with all those things. Nothing at all. Here's what was wrong. Verse 39. Look at 39. They did not know until the flood came. And I'm telling you, we live in a time and a generation that Christ is coming and He's going to come. And when He comes, there'll be people that do not know that He was coming. And that's where we are. They did not know. They, they, they did not know. They were caught in the dark, totally oblivious to God's judgment. And that's the shame. That was it. They were spiritually ignorant. And let me just say this to you. In order to become spiritually ignorant, you have to become spiritually or scripturally illiterate. That, that they don't know what the Word of God does.
such a way that it begins to make sense and we begin to apply it to our lives. And so that was it. And, and you know, they just don't know the Word of God. They didn't know the Word of God. Now, maybe one of the reasons for the apostasy is that people have heard about it so long that they've come to take it for granted. This is what Peter said. Peter said, in the last days, terrible times would come. He said, and this we read, he said, that the men will come and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? And then they'll say this, for things continue on as they are. Well, let me just say this to you. Things do not continue on as they are. And later on, maybe I can come and prove it to you in another sermon. All things don't continue on, but that's what they are going to say. They may believe that Jesus is coming back, but here's what most people believe. They think it's an event that will occur at some point in the distant future, so the Lord's return is more imminent reality to them, whether it's some kind of pie-in-the-sky dream and hope, maybe a thousand years from now, but not now, not now that Jesus would come. And yet he told us, and some preachers have spiritualized the doctrine of eschatology, that the entire book of Revelation is symbolic, that there's no such thing as a rapture, there's no such thing as a tribulation, so it's not real. Some say that preaching on the second coming is a trick of preachers, where they say Jesus is coming soon, and they try to scare people who are not saved into making commitment. Well, if I could scare you to death, I would. If that meant you got saved, I'd see you in heaven. But that don't work. I really realize that what that was. But it is, but it is, but it is, but also, it's not true. Also, is it not true for also Christians? How would it change your life if you truly believe that Jesus would be coming any minute? Let me say it again. How would it change your life if you believe that for dinner Jesus would be here? How would it change your life? Would you still act the way you do? Would you still be unforgiving as you are? Would you feel a greater sense of urgency about speaking to those you love who are not saved? Would you do that? Here's another thought. If we cannot know when the Lord's coming, then we ever think about, see? And this is why we live in the culture that we do. That maybe the primary reason that prophecy and eschatology is not a priority in many churches is because it's just not. Sometimes we go to a conference and, and uh, somewhere and we hear a thrilling message on the soon return of our Lord, and we get all excited, and we come back to our church and anxious to share that someone, with the, with the, but here stands somebody with that bucket of coal water ready to douse us down and put the fire out in us immediately as soon as we get back. But Jesus said that he's coming as a thief in the night. He said it was coming at a time that you think not. John 14, 3 says, I will come again, is what he said. Acts 1, 10, 11, when you talk about these two angels, listen to what they said. And why they looked steadfastly toward heaven. And it's almost like they're saying, what are y'all doing standing here? Toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel angels. And verse 11 says, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up in the heavens? Now listen to what they said. The same Jesus who was taken up from you in the heaven will also come in the manner as you so see him in heaven. That's what they said. He's coming. So here's the question. And here's my question to you. Can we know when He is coming? I'm glad there's some people say that. Is He coming? So here's the question. Can we know when He's coming? If you ask most people, can we know when Jesus is going to return? 
Mark will absolutely say, absolutely not. We cannot know when Jesus is coming. We can't know it. But didn't we just read Matthew 24, 36? But of that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So pay attention here. So let me ask you again. Can we know when Jesus is coming? Here's my answer. The answer is no and yes. Can we know when Jesus is coming? The answer is no and yes. We can know. Now, what do you mean by that, ladies? No, we cannot know the actual day and the actual date. But yes, we can know the season. Listen to me. We can know the season. Now, if we're in the Bible here, we, can know the, we cannot know the exact date and time because the Bible makes it clear that we cannot. And once again, Matthew 24, 36, the words of Jesus says, we cannot know the actual day and time. Now, there's a lot of sincere people who set dates. And the closer we get to the time the Lord will come, there will be more and more date setters. Even those who will claim to be Christ. We're going to see that more and more. There are going to be all kinds of people... You know, when, when you go back and you study things like Jim Jones, you study people like uh, the David Koresh or whatever his name was out in Waco, Texas. All those guys, one of the things they claim, they claim to be the second Jesus. We're going to see more and more men come and claim that they're Jesus. Now, within that, the Satan loves date setters because they bring difficulty to Bible prophecy. And someone sets a date, and people who don't know the Bible get their hopes up, and press gets, the press gets involved, and then the date comes and passes, and the Lord doesn't come on that date. And people, people who put their faith in that date are embarrassed and become embittered, and they begin to turn a deaf ear to real Bible prophecy. I never will forget picking up a copy of 1994, written by a guy by the name of Harold Campbell. Do you know who that is? And as I read that book, I, I, got, I didn't get hardly any pages in it until I read where he told us the exact date that Jesus was coming. Guess what I did? I closed that book. Because the Bible says that we cannot know. We cannot know the exact date. But I'm telling you right now, God wants us to know the season. And He wants us to know that it's time, and the time's going short. I, 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 that whole time, these date setters, I remember a person that I knew in Lexington. Her mother left her daddy, left her husband, took money out of their bank account, moved out west, and began to live with another group of people in a cave because they said that Jesus was coming on this particular day. So there's always been date setters, you know. But we can know the season. And I'll prove to you that we cannot know the date by using the Bible. Now, here's what I want to do. Now, let me prove to you that we can know the season by using the Bible. So, turn with me, if you will, <coughs> over to the book of Thessalonians, chapter 5. And let's just read this. Let's go through this. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. He's saying you have no need that I write to you. Listen to verse 2. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. He's coming like a thief in the night. Verse 3. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon them.
upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, let me just put a side place in here as it talks about a pregnant woman. We all know that when a baby is being born, the labor pains are like 10 minutes apart, 9, 8, so on, until finally all of a sudden you've got a baby. That's exactly what he's trying to say about signs. When anybody tries to say, okay, there's wars, Matthew 24, Luke 21, when it talks about there will be wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and, and all this kind of stuff, then what is it saying? It's not the signs themselves as we get ready, and most of those signs are for the second coming, not the rapture, because in the rapture we're just supposed to be ready. So now, so let me just say this to you. So the fact that it's not the signs themselves, it is the frequency, the frequency and the prevalency of those sins, of those signs that determine when those things come to pass. Now, so in verse 3, it says it will occur where people are saying peace and safety. And at that time, Paul says, sudden destruction will come upon them. Suddenly, like a woman with birth pains, they shall not escape. Now, now let me, here's the fundamental point that I'm trying to make, and it's found in verse 4. Look what verse 4 says. I want you to read this. Read it like you've never seen it before. He's talking to you. But you, brethren, talking to you, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. He's saying, you and I who study the Word and are here today in church are not in darkness. We're not. So what's he trying to say? But you, brethren, are not in darkness. Where, where you, he said he's saying, where you cannot move. Now, this verse says to me and to you that we can know the season of the Lord's day. He's saying, you're not in darkness. Brother, you're not in darkness so that the day should overtake you as a thief. Now read verse 5. And you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. We're sons of light. You know, and so he's saying, you're not in darkness, you're sons of light, where you can know. And I really believe that the Holy Spirit is going to start speaking to us and speaking to us more and more and start confirming, and I'll prove that in a minute, start confirming to us when the Lord's getting ready to come. And I really believe this with all my heart. I believe that one of the reasons that we have a drug problem and we have an alcohol problem in the world that we're living in right now is because it's that the devil, he hates this doctrine. And he knows that if he can get you so shocked out of your mind, he can get you so out of the place that you don't hear like you should. Because remember what Ezekiel said? Ezekiel said when he, when he listened to the voice of God, said he was not in the fire, he was not in the earthquake, he was not in the, uh, in the, in the wind. So where was he? He was in the still, small voice. And God is speaking to us today. And he wants you to hear that. But if you're so bad out of your mind, you can't hear what he's trying to say to you. I'm telling you, it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual warfare. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what God He doesn't want you to hear that God loves you and has a purpose for your life. That's what he's doing. And so, he tells me simply that we're the son of light. And then look at this, verse 6. It tells us this, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Let us watch and be sober. Paul is saying Jesus is coming, and he's coming like a thief in the night. But now watch this. But not for the brethren. Not, not, for, the, not for the Christian. He's coming like a thief in the night for the world. He's coming as a thief. 
refuse to believe in the Word of God, that's who's coming as a thief in the night. He's not coming for his churches. He's not because we're in that darkness. We're light. He wants us to know that he's coming. Amen? So Paul's saying, let me tell you, verse 4. He said, let me tell you, brethren, we're not in darkness because of this faith that overtake us as a thief. But you tell them we're not in darkness. And brother, what does he mean that we are the sons of light and not in darkness? You know what it means? Let me get, let me, I shouldn't, you know, I was getting this ready. To, this, I was getting all this stuff ready today, and the Lord gave me this verse. Look at John 15, 15. You ever read this verse? Look what this says. What does it say? No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all the things that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. If you belong to Jesus, you're the friends of Jesus. You're his, you're his brother. And I'm telling you, what does this say? This says God's going to make it known to us. That's exactly what it says. Now, i got to hurry. So what does it mean we're the sons of light? I believe he's referring to the fact that you and I are truly born again child of God. You have the Holy Spirit residing inside of you. The Holy Spirit is the one who wrote the Bible. And if you lean on the Holy Spirit, the Spirit will illuminate your mind and illuminate your heart to open your eyes to understand the mystery of the Word of God, including the season of the Lord's return. And I believe with all my heart we're in that season. So it says here, Jesus is not coming as a thief in the night, but for those who do not know Him will love Him. Because they don't know. You and I know. So we're looking for Look at Hebrews 10, 25. Now, here's one. I had a guy not, not long ago tell me. I told him what he needed to do to help his family and help his marriage. And I basically told him that he needed to be in church. That would be the first thought. He told me he could work with God help his ears grow. When he falls out of that ear thing, I'm going to lose him tall there. Amen? But anyway, listen to what it says in Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, you thought the main thing about you coming to church was what you get out of it. And I really believe that. I believe this is a healing station. You don't come in here so that you can go to heaven. You come here because you're on your way to heaven. Amen? We're not working to be saved. We're working because we are saved. I don't come to church so I can be saved. I come to church because I am saved. Amen? And so as a result of that, as I come to Him, but look at this. Why do I come to church? I come to church because why? What am I supposed to do? Look at the last part. What am I here? You're here for somebody else. Now, I stand up here many times and I tell you, I look over this congregation, I see an empty seat, and I wonder where you are. I'm already thinking, you know, there's a got one over my butt semi-backed over here or something. I think all these kind of weird thoughts, or maybe you're sick, maybe you're on vacation, maybe you're down in the Bahamas doing something crazy or whatever. So I think all this kind of stuff with you. But the truth of the matter is, there are people who your seat can't be good for you. Because the very fact that you're here demonstrates here's somebody that I know that's putting faith in Jesus. Here's somebody that's living for the Lord. And that's encouraging. And so it tells us, as, and, and, and notice this, as we look at it, it says, what, he says, not forsaking symbols together as a manner of some, but now, and we're to do this exhorting one another. And let me tell you, 
why we're to do that. Listen to what it says. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, what day? Well, go on down to verse 27. Look what 27 says. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversary. That's the day he's talking about. You go on farther, go down to verse 30, 31. The day the Lord will return because he says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God when you're not saved. When I stand in front of God, I'm going to know that all my sins have been forgiven. Because Jesus paid for them all on the cross. If you never come to Jesus, you're going to stand in front of God and here's all your sins. All around. And you're going to give an answer for everything you've ever done. Not only everything you've ever done, but you're also give every word, every idle word. And you say, well, I really didn't do that. Lord, you only knew this much. Oh, Lord, show you a video replay. He'll not only show you a video replay what you did, He'll show you, put it in slow motion, you see. He'll, he'll not only do that, but He'll also do this. He'll show you what you were thinking in that time. It's even that motive does, didn't it? You know, our heart telling, well, if so-and-so hadn't done this, I don't know. So, so it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It says we are to encourage one another as we see that day approaching. But notice this, what it says. What does it say? We see... say we don't know? It says we see. Why? Because we're not in darkness. We're light. God wants us to see. He wants us to see. That means we can tell something about the time of the season. It means if we don't know this, we may be totally ignorant about the time the Lord is going to return. But we are not ignorant of the season that it is near. Once again, no one no, we can't know the actual date. And I'm not saying we can, but we know the season. Another reason that we can know the season of the Lord's return is God wants us to know the season of His Son's return because if He does not, it would violate His character if He sent Jesus back by surprise. What do you mean? Never once in all the history of mankind has God ever poured out His wrath without warning the people that he was fixing to do it. This is his nature. This is the nature of his loving kindness, his grace, and his mercy. Yes, God is a God of justice and righteousness and holiness, but he's also a God of tender, loving mercy and kindness. And because he is always warned before he pours out his wrath. This is why 2 Peter 3 9 he says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness. But his long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's God. He's been waiting on some of us in here for a long time. You know? He's been waiting on you. And he says all day long, I expect you to do something. The Lord is not some cosmic sadist hiding behind some clouds waiting to pounce on us. God's never, never poured out his wrath without a warning in advance. And Noah, Noah, he gave him 120 years and called him a preacher of righteousness. Second Peter 2 5. And Abraham warning about Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he finally narrowed it down. He said, Lord, if there's 50, 45, I finally got it down. If there's 10, so Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because he couldn't find 10 righteous people. The Lord doesn't destroy any nation without warning. And I believe with all my heart, he's warning the United States of America today. I believe that 9-11 was a shot across our bow. Here we sit, 
was an ocean on one side and an ocean on the other. We thought, boy, we're impenetrable. But, you know, nobody can get close to us. Here comes, here comes a bunch of guys that fly an airplane into a, a, two buildings, and all of a sudden we got 3,000 people doing it right on our shores. We never experienced that before. Jesus is coming for his church and those that love him. I also believe this. I believe that the AIDS epidemic is a result of our sins in our lives.
things. They want him to perform a miracle. He said, what sign do you need besides what I'm doing? He's referring to the fact that in the Hebrew Scriptures, which these men had been studying all their lives, they contained over 300 prophecies about the first coming of the Messiah. And many of these 300 prophecies were repetitious, and you could boil them down and come out with approximately 109 of them, but separate and distinct prophecies about the first coming of Jesus. And the first coming, all these prophecies, they talked about everything about his life, where he would be born, how he would be born, what he, where that he would be, he would go to Egypt, be called out of Egypt, he would go to Galilee, that he would heal people and love people, his lineage, who he would tend to, that he would be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and the last days of his life, incredible detail, that he would be pierced in his side, his hands, and his feet. Every aspect of his life had been prophesied, and they're asking for a sign. Give me a break. Now, here's the point. There are 300 scriptures and prophecies about the first coming of Jesus in the Old Testament. But get this. There are over 500 prophecies and scriptures in the Old Testament about His second coming. 500, not 300, 500 about His second coming. And in the New Testament, for every one scripture out of 25, it deals with the second coming of Jesus. Jesus talked about this. In other words, there are many more prophecies about the second coming of Jesus than the first. Why so many? Because Jesus is returning the righteousness of the Jesus. So since God does not wish that any should perish, He's given a sign after sign to what? He's telling us that we're in that season that Jesus is coming. No, I don't know He's going to come at Tuesday or the night of the Tuesday. But I believe I know that we're close close this way. Let me close and you turn with me over to uh, Luke 21. I'll just give you one. I, I, I'll come back later with another with another message here so long and I will give you the sign. But I want you I want you to, to let me just give you one. Luke 21 verse 29. This is simple. But look at this. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the picture of this and all the truth. When they were already budding, you see and know for yourself that some of his is, uh, uh, is now near. Now look at this. Uh, so you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Notice this, that the kingdom of God is near. Uh, assuredly, I say to you, listen to this, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word by no means will pass away. Now, let me just give you a story real quick. Giving you one today. Listen to what this says. He's talking about a fig tree. All through Scripture, the fig tree is Israel. Okay? All through Scripture, the fig tree is Israel. It says the fig tree hinder. You see the fig tree budding. When did the fig tree bud? It budded May the 15th, 1948. That's when the fig tree tree bud. Okay? I, I was born May the 71 years old. I know I don't look like that. I'm 71 years old. And and so it's been 71 years since the time that Israel became a nation. Amen? Now listen to what he says. He says this, and look 
don't, let's go back over here. He says that when they are already, when, when you see budding, you will see, see and know for yourself that summer is now near. That's the sign. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Jesus said, when you see these, let's make it simple. You see these things happening? No, the kingdom of God is near. It's near. Now let's go, let's go another step up. Because in here he also says this. He says, Assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away. So all things are, this generation will not die. Now what generation is he talking about? Is he talking about the generation of him? No, he's not talking about the generation which will be him. He's talking about the generation after the fig tree budding. That's your generation and my generation. He says that generation will not pass away until you see the kingdom of God come. You telling me we're not close? Now, generation only 33 years, but also within that generation, People live to be a hundred. I don't know when I'm going to make it a hundred. I hope the Lord comes tomorrow night, so I don't have to fill the whole body. We can't do all the things I want us to do. But the whole point of what I'm saying, we're close, guys. And we ought, you know, we ought to get up every morning, look out the window, and say simply this, Lord, is this the day that you're coming? Because if I do that, guess what? It's going to make a difference in my life. What I, what I, how I act, how I live. Because I think the Lord's coming in there. What I'm going to say, it's going to make a difference. And when I meet somebody that's not safe, what I'm going to say to them. Amen? So, when somebody looks at you and says, well, they've been saying that for a lot of years, and we can't know. You tell them. We can't know the day and the hour. Brother, we can know the season. And I'm telling you right now, the season 